Hi, I'm Snigdha Sharma and you're listening to 3 Things, the Indian Express news show. In this episode, we discuss the Bengal elections, the Quad Summit and Justice Indu Malhotra. But before we move on with the show, we have some exciting news to share with you about something that we are venturing into for the first time. So we're working on a podcast about love, relationships and dating in India. And to make it happen, we are eager to hear from you. So if you are between the ages of 18 and 35 years and if you have some thoughts and opinions about love and relationships and if you have some ideas regarding what you would like to hear from a podcast that talks about these things, please do write to us at podcast that is P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S at IndianExpress.com and we will get in touch with you. Now back to the show. Beginning with West Bengal. As the election battle between the Mamata Banerjee-led Trinamool Congress and the BJP in West Bengal was gaining momentum, last week the Samyukt Kisan Morcha, or the umbrella body of farmer unions that has been protesting against the centre's three farm laws since last year, announced that it would send a team of leaders to the poll-bound Bengal in a bid to appeal to voters to not vote for what it called anti-farmer BJP. Come the next week, and farmer leader Rakesh Tiket held Mahapanchayats on Saturday in Kolkata and Nandigram and at Singur and Asansol on Sunday. In fact, their slogan, No Vote to BJP, is pretty straightforward. According to the Samyukt Kisan Morcha, an electoral defeat will force the BJP-led government at the centre to repeal the three farm laws. While the farm leaders have clarified that they are not campaigning in favour of any political party, this move by the Samyukt Kisan Morcha could have significant impact on the elections in Bengal. In this segment, Atri Mitra, Indian Express's reporter from West Bengal, who attended the rally in Nandigram, shed some light on what is going on. He began by telling us how the Mahapanchayats went. First of all, in Kolkata, at Ramlila Maidan, day before yesterday, the rally held. Basically, the Mahapanchayat held. Jogendra Jadav and Medha Patkar and CPM Politburo member and General Secretary of the Sangyut Kishan Morcha, Hanan Molla also was there. 3,000 to 5,000 crowd was there. And uh, Jogendra Jadav and Medha Patkar both are campaigned against BJP and they said that if uh, in time of BJP, the democracy is at stake, and uh, they are basically doing autocracy. So if we want to save our country, then we have to defeat BJP. There's no other alternative. Yeah, after that, yesterday they held a Kishan Mahapanchayat at Nandigram. Nandigram is uh, historically very significant in West Bengal because an anti-land acquisition movement was held in Nandigram at 2007-2008 against the left regime and uh, Nandigram and Singur and that driven to outstate CPM 34 years regime in 2011 and Mamta Banerjee came in power in West Bengal. So uh, Nandigram and Singur is very significant as far as farmers movement is concerned, as far as anti-land acquisition movement is concerned. So yesterday, Jogendra Jadav, Medha Patkar and other readers, Barvi Singh Rajwar, all the leaders went to Nandigram and Rakesh Tikait also landed in Kolkata yesterday. He first went to Bhavanipur and uh, participated in a rally. After that, he also went to Nandigram and uh, they all again were campaigning against BJP. They told that everybody should vote against BJP. Before we move any further, let us understand why Nandigram holds so much significance in Bengal politics. 
Chief Minister Mamta Banerjee too chose to contest the upcoming elections from Nandigram. Nandigram was one of the two epicenters of Trinamool Congress's anti-land acquisition movement in West Bengal, with the other being in Singur. These two helped the party win the 2011 assembly elections in the state, ending the 34-year-old rule of the left government. In 2007, 14 villagers who were protesting against the then left front government's proposed land acquisition for a chemical hub of Indonesia's Selim Group at Nandigram were killed in a police firing. Mahapanchayat will be held today evening in Singur, and we came to know that TMC's farmers leader Bacharam Manna, who is also contesting from Singur as a TMC candidate. he may not be present there but he will support the mahapanchayat and some tmc supporters was used to organize farmers they will also present there in mahapanchayat and we are expecting huge gathering in singur now one thing that has stood out in this entire turn of events is that the left front that had initially warmed up to the samyukt kisan morcha after it announced its bengal plans has begun to distance itself from the former leaders hanan mulla general secretary of the all india kisan sabha and a key member of the samyukt kisan morcha is even a cpm politburo member here atri explains why the left is apprehensive of showing support to the samyukt kisan morcha The Nandigram and Singur movement is very much embarrassing for CPM. Basically, Nandigram Singur movement was hailed against CPM left front regime and against the land acquisition policy of the left front government. So that is very embarrassing for them, and they basically did not know in what menu they will going to organize Kishan Mahapanchayat. when they came to know that these farmers leaders the sanjuk kishan morcha mahapanchayat will be held in nandigram and singur soon after they withdrew their support basically they are silent they are not announcing that they are withdrawing their support but they silently withdrew their cadre base both from singur and nandigram and no leader were present uh, from very first day of the kishan sanjuk morcha they are saying that these two venue were chosen because of tmc has some contact with sanjuk kishan morcha some tmc top leaders are regularly contacting with sanjuk kishan morcha so they basically forced to sanjuk kishan morcha to select and also medha patikar was a part of nandigram movement and singur movement so she also very eager to go to singur and nandigram so after they chose these two venue the cpm and other left front allies basically withdraw their presence from the mahapanchayat there is another point that they are opposing the bjp they are telling to the people that not vote to bjp but cpm's uh, demand is they should say that don't vote to tmc also because left is opposing both the force and left front is trying to demonstrate that both tmc and bjp is equally harmful to the society harmful for the country next atri went on to tell us the possible impacts of these mahapanchayats in the upcoming elections in the state 
Kishan Mahapanchayat will help to generate a phenomenon against the BJP. That is true. But I don't know if really it will help to TMC or not. They have legitimate agenda and also image against the BJP. So some sections of the people in Bengal, they are very much secular. They are very culturally, they are very much secular. And Bengal has a long tradition, long legacy of secular politics. So uh, the Sanjut Kishan Morcha Mahapanchayats and other campaign also give a solid momentum to these secular force. And these secular votes, which is uh, against the BJP, after going back, these votes will go to TMC vote box or that is very difficult to say. And finally, we spoke to Atri about another recent development vis-a-vis the Trinamool Congress. The induction of veteran politician and former BJP leader Yashwan Sinha into the party. That is the main boosting part for the TMC because since December, after Subindu Udikari quit the party, many top leaders of TMC resigned from the party and joined BJP. At least 15 to 20 MLAs also resigned from the party and joined BJP. So that is very embarrassing. Deputy Speaker of the Assembly, Sonali Guho, and uh, two cabinet ministers, Subindu Odikari, Rajiv Banerjee, one minister of state, Bachu Hasda, joined BJP, and uh, one minister of state, Lakhi Ratan Sukla, who also played for Indian cricket team, he also resigned from the ministry. He did not join BJP, but he basically resigned and quit from TMC. So continuous exodus from TMC, at least they will have some oxygen when Jasper Sina, a big name in Indian politics, he was two times cabinet minister in Delhi central government in 1990 and 2001. So Jasper Sina is a big name and he was very much close in Kaist, but he's very close to the Rasput lobby of Indian politics. That's because he became the cabinet minister in Chandrasekhar ministry. So, Jasban Sina is a very important man in Indian politics, important name in Indian politics. So, that inclusion in TMC will help TMC, no doubt about that. And that is why Subrata Mukherjee of TMC leader, who was present in the press conference, he also said that it is a proud moment for us that a leader like Jasban Sina is joining our party. Mamta, who was injured in Nandigram and is undergoing treatment, would have been present for the occasion. We will enrich the inclusion of Sina because other than Mamuta, no other leader has stature in our party like him. So that is a very important line. Other than Mamuta, there are no other leader in TMC who has profile like four, five times MP, two times cabinet minister. No other leader have that profile in TMC. Sina has a contact with Mamta right from 1999. He has continuous contact with Jasban Sina. And he also has a good contact with TMC political strategist Prashant Kishore. So in this situation, when Mamta is very much cornered, BJP is bombarding on the TMC in West Bengal just before assembly election. So Prashant Kishore and the think tank of TMC decide to inclusion of Sina. And Sina also said yesterday that attack 
which is alleged attack on Mamta Banerjee on March 10 in Nandigram. He said the tipping point was the attack on Mamta Ji in Nandigram. It was this moment that I decided to join TMZ and support her. So basically in this crucial moment when Mamta is injured in an attack in Nandigram and they have a huge exodus from the party. So in this time, Jasban Sina-like name join in the party is very huge relief for TMC. Moving on to the Quad Summit. On the 12th of March, Prime Minister Narendra Modi, American President Joe Biden, Japan's Prime Minister Yoshihide Suga and Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison met virtually for the first Quad Summit. Quad or the Quadrilateral Security Dialogue is an informal strategic forum between Australia, India, Japan and the United States. The four leaders signaled their commitment to a shared vision for the free and open Indo-Pacific and a region that is inclusive, healthy and anchored by democratic values and unconstrained by coercion. They also pledged to promote a free, open rules-based order rooted in international law to advance security and prosperity and to counter threats in both the Indo-Pacific and beyond, indirectly referring to China's aggressive moves in the region. Some of the areas in which the four nations aim to work together include vaccines, climate change and emerging technologies. In this segment, Indian Express's Shubhajit Roy discussed with us the significance of this summit and its impact on global politics. So, Shubhajit, if you can begin by giving us a brief history of Quad. So the Quad initially started in 2007 when uh, these four countries, US, India, Japan and Australia, they came together after the tsunami that hit this part of the world. And uh, it was basically to help each other out as a disaster sort of uh, management exercise, post-disaster for relief and that kind of activities. But then because there were sort of like-minded values of these four countries at that point of time, so they came together. But it couldn't take off because China really raised objections and made it clear that they saw it as grouping which was challenging their rise or trying to contain them. So it frittered away in 2008. But in, it was revived again in 2017 at the official level. And since then, there have been several official-level meetings, and uh, then the foreign ministers of these four countries have also met twice in person, once over virtual mode because of the pandemic. And then this is the first time that the leaders, that is the presidents and prime ministers of these four countries, met this week over through virtual mode, and they discussed a whole lot of issues from vaccines to climate change to technology. And, of course, for a free and open Indo-Pacific uh, region, which is essentially keeping an eye on the proactive and assertive and uh, bordering on belligerence by China. Right. So, Shubhajit, can you shed some light on the significance of this summit in view of the interests of each member nation? Right. So the significance is that China has been asserting itself in the Indo-Pacific region, in the Indian Ocean region and Pacific uh, region through its uh, hostile or belligerence in the last few years. Especially in the pandemic year, we saw when the entire world was, world's attention was distracted towards fighting the pandemic. At that point of time, it was asserting itself 
through very, very strong arm tactics or activities in Indo-Pacific region. Now, that is where the need for the four countries to come together came up. Now, the Trump administration gave its way to the Biden administration in January this year. And Biden administration has continued with these policies, which were adopted by the U.S. administration under President Donald Trump. And Biden made it one of his first summits, apart from the G7 summit. This is only the second summit that he's held, of course, virtually. And he's also agreed that and the four leaders also agreed that they should have an in-person summit by the end of this year. So it, it shows that there is a lot of meeting of minds because all of them share the values and share the priorities and concerns when it comes to taking countering uh, China's hostile behavior, belligerent behavior, and also try to shape their behavior in the current, in today's world. So that is where it is important that all four leaders met and they came up with a joint statement, which was again a new thing because each time the officials met of these four countries in the last three years, they always came up with separate statement. But this is the first time when leaders met and they came up with a joint statement. A joint statement means that there is congruence or convergence of thoughts and similarity of opinions that get reflected in one document. Okay, so what were the key takeaways from the summit? The main concrete takeaways were that the Quad grouping came up with this Quad vaccine initiative in which US vaccines or American vaccines will be produced in India, will be manufactured in India with Japanese funding and Australian logistical support. So these four countries are harnessing their strengths and trying to build a vaccine initiative so that they can make vaccines available across the world. To start with, in the Indo-Pacific region, which is Pacific Islands and the Southeast Asia, which is essentially a battleground where China and all the Quad countries are competing for influence. Both want to assert themselves, so both are trying to reach out to these countries. As you know, India has already supplied uh, vaccines to almost 71 countries, uh, and it's counting uh, since the vaccine initiative was launched in January this year. So uh, in less than two months, there has been a supply to 71 countries. So this kind of easily dovetails into this Quad vaccine initiative. And the other outcomes were that they were set up three working groups. One is on the vaccines, an expert group. Another one is on the climate change, which is another pressing area which Biden administration wants to put it front and center. And the third is on emerging technologies, which is essentially which will tackle on cyber to other technologies, which are again area of concern where, where Chinese sort of cyber threats or cyber activities have been seen as a threat to the cyber networks across the world. So these are broadly the concrete outcomes that came up. And in most of these, and of course, free and open and freedom of navigation in the Indo-Pacific region, in Indian Ocean and the Pacific region, that of course is at the heart of all these four countries coming together and making it very clear that China's belligerent activities won't be let be passed or given a free pass. So that is the 
broad takeaway of this first ever quad summit that took place right if you can tell us about what china's response to quad has been like so quad when it started as i told you earlier in 2007-8 it had reacted very negatively then in 2017 as well when the quad uh, at the official level was revived then i remember in 2018 the chinese foreign minister and wang yi had said that it's like a sea foam which will dissipate but of late it has started taking it seriously and it still sees it as grouping which is trying to undercut china it has sometimes called it an indo pacific nato all these characterizations have been framed by beijing essentially seeing this particular grouping as an alliance which is trying to counter china and contain the rise of china whereas the quad grouping always maintains that they are a pro they are positive grouping they want to maintain rules based international order and they are essentially saying that these are four democracies with shared values which is again an oblique or thinly veiled reference to china which is not a democracy and that is where the contestation of ideas is taking place in the indo-pacific region as well as a message is going out across the world what is interesting to understand is also that beyond these four countries the countries in europe for example uk france germany they have also framed their indo-pacific strategy or are in the process of framing their indo-pacific strategies because they also see value in this proposition that rules based order should be enforced and adhered to and china is being seen as a disruptor and not following the rules based international rules right so finally shubhajit if you can get a little bit into how quad has given a booster to india's vaccine diplomacy and also what does it mean for india in terms of its standing in global politics so as you know that the quad vaccine initiative comes right after india has started sending vaccines and its vaccine diplomacy which is spread out across 71 countries as of now it is going to go up to more and more countries and the, the intention is to cover the entire world that of course tells us or tries to this government is trying to tell the world that it is a do gooder for the entire world it is not inward looking and it wants to contribute to global good and its capacity it's using its capacity to give that image of a global samaritan and i think that is key essentially because quad is seen as an anti china grouping but india wants to project itself as a bigger power or a more responsible player in the world vis-a-vis how china is seen and perceived in the global stage and that is exactly what is india has been india's intention how it will play out we'll have to see in future moving on to justice indu malhotra On Saturday that is the 13th of March Justice Indu Malhotra one of the only two female judges of the Supreme Court retired Malhotra became the first woman lawyer to directly enter the top court as a judge on 26th of April 2018 With her retirement Justice Indira Banerjee remains the only woman judge in the top court Hailing from a family of lawyers Malhotra had joined the profession in 1983 and was appointed a senior advocate in 2007 
Her name was unanimously cleared by the Collegium in 2018 and she was appointed as the seventh woman judge of the Apex Court since independence. She was the second woman after Leela Seth to be elevated by the Supreme Court to the designation of a senior advocate and secured the first position in the advocate on record examination for the top court. Justice Malhotra, an authority on arbitration law, was part of a committee headed by retired Supreme Court Judge B N Shri Krishna, which called for the creation of an Arbitration Promotion Council of India. Over the three years as a Supreme Court judge, Justice Malhotra has delivered a series of important judgments. She was a part of the bench that passed some of the most progressive orders, such as the decriminalization of homosexuality and also adultery. In the Sabri Mala case, she dissented from the majority, which upheld the right of women of all age groups to enter the Lord Ayappa Temple. She observed that entertaining PILs in religious matters could damage the secular fabric of the country. At her farewell, Justice Malhotra expressed the view that the difference between male and female judges will not exist one day. She added that she does not believe in representation being merely symbolic. She said, and I quote, "I do not believe in token symbolism and meritless appointment." Unquote. On her final day in court, Chief Justice of India S. A. Bobde said that he does not know a judge finer than Justice Malhotra. Attorney General K. K. Venugopal said that it was very unfortunate that judges of the Supreme Court had to retire at the age of sixty-five. You were listening to Three Things by the Indian Express. Today's show was written and produced by me, Snigdha Sharma, and was edited and mixed by Suresh Pawar. You can follow us and leave us feedback on Facebook or Twitter at Express Podcasts, or send us an email at podcasts at indianexpress dot com. And if you like the show, please do subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts from, so more people can find us. You can also look for us in the audio section in the top right corner of our website, indianexpress dot com.